Welcome to our podcast. If you enjoy this segment, we encourage you to check out the others. Also, if you're new to Hedgeye, you qualify for a special discount on one of our Hedgeye investing products. Email customer service director Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. I'm Keith McCollin. Welcome back. This is it. This is the last one. She crushed it uh, big time last time, so we put her in the cleanup position. Welcome back, Steph Pomboy. Oh, my gosh. That's pressure. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. I'm yeah. honored. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, this is uh, this is what we, we can't, we can't have a non-cleanup hitter hitting last. Oh, okay. So, um, you've been, you've I should been... have done my, my push-ups, gotten pumped for this. Are you big on those? <laughs> you like doing push-ups? Uh, like? No. Tolerate. No. Tolerate. Tolerate. <laughs> All right. I, I, I like doing them, too. Uh, you can't tell that I do them, but you can tell you do them. That's, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's do, let's, do, let's do some macro push-ups. I mean, uh, we're going to have to, like, get in there and grind out some inflation chit-chat. We're going to do that first because that's what I'm sure... Uh, your institutional clients are on you all day long about, and they're certainly with my Canadian accent talking to me about that too. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, after Powell's press conference yesterday, I mean, I guess the ball is in our court because he's not going to worry about inflation, <laughs> so we got to worry about inflation, right? Well, that's oh, it. It's, it's, it's like an. It's a, I mean, but really, you know, and I just had a great conversation with Jeff Snyder, who I'm sure you know. I mean, he. Um, he made the point that these, you know, they've always been in the business of saying that it's not, it's, it's not the thing that you and I think. Let's, let's just empirically, uh, you know, state that point. Ben Bernanke, obviously, in 2011, with the dollar at a, a 40-year low and commodities at all-time highs, there's, there's no inflation. What are you talking about? It's like, uh, you didn't want to talk about the dollar. But, you know, at this point, does it matter? Like, you speak to investors. I think that's the big difference, obviously, between these, uh, linear econs or government types is right. that you know they could say whatever they want, but you and I have to help people save the money they have and then compound some returns on top of that. Like what what do you say? What are you saying to people? Should they have they been long inflation? Do you think they should stay long inflation and why? Well, I think it's a great point. Uh, you know, the academic issue of whether inflation pressures that we're going to see are going to be real or sustainable is something we can put to the side the question is we know just by basic basic <laughs> mathematics that we're going to get a huge increase in the cpi in the coming months i mean i just did a back of the envelope calculation at the beginning of the year and if you saw a four tenths increase every month in the cpi by the time you got to may you were looking at well upwards it's three percent you know it was like 3.6 percent year on year on the cpi um, right now we're running at a number that will bring us closer to 3.2 by May, but still we're going to have a 3% handle on the CPI in all likelihood by May. And Powell may be totally fine with that because in his view it's temporary uh, and it's going to go back down. Um, but I'm not convinced that the bond market is going to be <laughs> quite so sanguine about it. You know, I think that 3% headline will come across. And, uh, you know, the bond vigilantes who have been sleeping in their caves for the last decade may come out in earnest. I mean, they're already starting to peak out, um, as we've seen with 10-year yields backing up to 173. And I, I think it's really a dangerous game to play uh, just because 
it doesn't take much of a backup in rates to really trigger major dislocations in the economy and the financial markets. And we've seen it. We saw it as recently as 2018 when we had that backup in rates and you had obviously the fourth quarter meltdown on the heels of that, the force the Fed to uh, do a complete 180 on their watching paint dry quantitative tightening uh, adventure. So. I mean, I, I think uh, we can get into a discussion as to whether the inflation pressures are, are going to be uh, durable. Uh, but I think, as you said, it's sort of irrelevant in the near term in terms of trying to navigate the markets over the next few months. Yeah, I, th I, th I think maybe we will. I mean, get into the uh, later on, if there's time, get into what is the shape and the stickiness of inflation once we get past, you know, those right. really obvious base effects. Um, but again, the risks happen slowly and all at once, and it's such a levered financial system that it, it is, it's, it's asinine at this point, to, even for Powell to say yesterday. I mean, you know, he did actually say something. He said, hey, look, let's just get to the target first, and then we'll see what happens. Well, the target's two. And, and you know, I'm pretty sure I know what the difference is between uh, two and 3.2. And uh, slide 15, guys, we're, we're actually, you and I are right on the screws, right, at, right, right on the same wavelength here in terms oh, of our, okay. our now cast. So that's convenient. That's how you get to be the cleanup hitter, right? Yeah, I'm, totally, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, t I'm totally biased. <laughs> I aim to please. I aim to please. So <laughs> there you go. And, and uh, the, but, but the point is that the, the CYA nature of this institution that is the Fed and all the talking heads and all the people that perpetuate talking heads I mean, this could be a certified clown show by the time we get to April and May. Could be. I mean, let's start out with the fact that it's been a clown show for the better part of the last decade. I mean, I just think it was risible that they had this quantitative easing policy that they wrote Ph.D. thesis after Ph.D. thesis about uh, how incredibly beneficial it was in uh, reducing uh, financial strains and boosting economic growth and resuscitating the appetite for risk. Um, but the next minute said doing quantitative tightening would be like watching paint dry and a completely insignificant event. I mean, how you could believe one thing and not the other, it just made no sense. So yes, a clown show for sure. One thing we know is that the Fed is going to make a mistake. The question is, um, how quick will they be to realize they made a mistake? In the fourth quarter of 2018, mm -hmm. they got on it pretty quickly, and obviously we had that V-shaped bounce. You know, you came into the beginning of 2019, and then it was off in the rearview mirror pretty quickly. So I think that's really the question. But um, I guess to the extent that I think we're going to have to see an accident to get the reaction, my inclination, and I have the luxury of positioning my own book this way, is to just sit on the sidelines because it just didn't look very appealing to me at these valuations to be trying to game it for the next, you know, one or two percent or however much little runway we have left before um, the crisis happens that forces the Fed's hand. I think just that, like, uh, there's so many things that, that you say that are a given in your own mind, but many people are like, oh, really? There's, the Fed could make a mistake here. The, uh, <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, the, on the way up, I mean, it's, it, you never quite know which one it's going to be. Um, but, uh, he's, he's definitely not as adept as Ben Bernanke in the moment that he needs to be precise, uh, on certain market points. So I, I, I don't know what it's going to be. I mean, do you, do you have any, do you have any thoughts on what, you know, have you, th have you written about that? Like one, two or three things that could be 
that mistake that is probable? Well, I mean, I, I guess simplistically, I just think as we get those inflation numbers heating up and the Fed continues to stand pat in this idea that they're welcoming with open arms these hotter headline numbers um, that, you know, you'll see continued backup in interest rates. And I know that you're familiar with the chart that really informs so much of my thinking about this, which is that long term chart of interest rates with the financial crises ticked off on it illustrating that we get uh, financial crises at lower and lower levels of interest rates because we're so incredibly levered today. And I was just, you know, looking back, um, given the Fed's, uh, this is really wonky stuff, but uh, the Fed reported its flow of funds uh, last week, which you surely know. Um, and so we're total economy that is 61 trillion. Uh, and so I thought, well, let's go back and look at what the level of interest rates was and what debt was that triggered the financial crisis so we can get a sense as to what's the level of interest rates on 61 trillion that might trigger the financial crisis. Um, and if you go back to, you know, 2007, um, we had half the amount of debt uh, and the interest rate level that triggered that crisis was four and a half. So just from a really simplistic analysis, you'd say two and a quarter might be enough on a 61, you know, on twice as much debt. This is a very admittedly uh, sophomoric analysis, but it's something. Uh, if two and a quarter is going to do it, we could be there pretty quickly. So I don't think we have a lot of runway, but I, I really worry about the backup in treasury yields really as the catalyst. I'd love to say that I think earnings disappointments will be the catalyst, but honestly, I don't think the market is going to give much credence to any earnings disappointments now. They'll blame it on lockdowns, et cetera, and continue to look forward to when everyone has been vaccinated and we have herd immunity. So I'm not, I don't think the earnings picture is going to be a factor driving uh, the broad outlook for, for stocks going forward. Well, what, once, once we get the second quarter earnings, which are the easiest comps in the history of comps or base effects in the history <laughs> oh, of base effects, right. You know, it's almost mathematically impossible for earnings not to go down from there, particularly if you're taking up labor structurally with the new administration. Okay. A lot of a lot of different reasons. So I, I do think that your view, because you've always, that's always been part of your process, right? I, I, I don't think that, you know, while we can throw away a lot of the things that we've, uh, you know, th think that we should throw away, this damn cycle thing stuff just keeps coming back to people our age. We've You, you don't yeah. want to ignore the stuff that people are forced to ignore, I guess, is my point. Well, 100%. I mean, I think that uh, just because people are going to ignore and give a pass to earnings uh, <laughs> doesn't mean they're not important. I think they're crucially important. And as you probably guess, uh, my expectation for earnings growth and growth in the economy in general is uh, far less uh, enthusiastic, let's say, than the markets uh, and most of Wall Street is uh, pricing in. So. Um, we can get into that as well. I mean, those damn fundamentals uh, continue to be sort of a bugaboo. Uh, but again, they're being rendered irrelevant right now by this massive amount of monetary stimulus. And the only uh, risk to that is that where the Fed is providing endless easing uh, of financial conditions, the bond vigilantes might say, hey, we're going to tighten for you if you're not going to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. So... 
I mean, the, the, the tightening for us is interesting. I mean, it, it, over the course of forever, uh, the long end of the curve does what you know the economy and inflation in particular is doing at that point in time. So it doesn't really matter what Powell thinks about it. I mean, I do want to come back to the to the earnings piece because I want to go through, uh, which I'm assuming is probably a second half of the year uh, slowdown view on earnings and the economy that you're you're thinking. But I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Uh, slide 93 <laughs> first. I want before I forget. Um, because I got to get your view on this, because you're like one of the people that that's going to have a reaction to this, obviously. But this is obviously showing you the the deficit against the balance sheet and rate of change terms. And um, you said you made an interesting point there about whether it's two and a quarter or not. I mean, it, risk has always been about the 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 rate of change of rates, not not a, about a specific you know valuation centric interest rate um, on top of a of a of a, of a precondition. So the precondition is this. I mean. Would you have ever, in your wildest, well, in your case, it'd be nightmares, um, would you have ever, <laughs> in, in your worst nightmare, would you imagine that that JAWS chart would open up like that? Could you see that chart, by the way? Yes, yeah. I did. Yeah, thank what, you. What do you, how, what do you do, what, what do you do with that? Well, I mean, I guess my conclusion is just, this is, I guess I've uh, argued from the beginning when QE started after the housing bubble bust and the global financial crisis, that it started as a discretionary economic policy, but it has become a deficit financing necessity. So it, it's no longer a discretionary policy. And the Fed can say and pretend um, that they can back away from the markets. Uh, but it just seems to me like there is no, at 0% interest rates, Who's the profit-oriented buyer of treasuries? Um, there really are, aren't many, um, or there ostensibly shouldn't be any. So there's there's the Fed, um, and I just don't see that chart. I mean, I would expect those draws to continue to widen, right. where our fiscal deficits just continue to expand, especially if we get a meltdown in the uh, financial markets in which case you destroy all of the pensions and the people on Main Street are going to really get hurt the most. Uh, and then there'll be a bailout of, of pensions, which right now are six trillion underfunded. So you can tack six trillion onto whatever total, uh, you know, programs we're going to have. So, I mean, the numbers are just so obscenely large that they're hard to even wrap your head around. Mm -hmm. So I guess, um, as crazy as it sounds, I think those lines are just going to keep moving in the direction they've been going, and the jaws of you know those jaws are going to get wider and wider. And then the question is, um, the battle for that, and to me, the battle for that is is the dollar. Yeah, the, and let's get through that as well. But I want to tie this. I want to tie this into your economic outlook because you know the jaws. For those of you that don't know, are going to widen if if Steph's right and growth slows at a faster rate from its cycle peak. Uh, I just want to get your thoughts on that too, slide um, 13. So we're going to have this second quarter year-over-year -year number that, you know, whether you agree with me or not on on, on it being you know, up nine, 10 percent year-over-year is not the point. The point is, you know, the slowdown, um, the slowdown from there, and and could GDP just collapse or not from there? Um, a lot of people, like I don't have it collapsing, right? Obviously, but I change my mind every day. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, and yeah, because you get new data every day. I mean, the, part, yeah, part of the reason why those numbers are so high is because the, the incoming economic data, including retail sales, 
uh, on the control group, even though this month's number was slower, they've been epic, mm-hmm. right? So, um, mm-hmm. you know, what do you think in the, is it a back half of the year? By the way, I didn't mean, like I said, I didn't mean to put words in your mouth. Do you think that it's going to be a, a, a significant slowdown? I do. I think, uh, I guess the question is significant relative to expectations. Right. Yes. Um, in the absolute, uh, you know, it may not seem that significant, but to the extent that the markets have these in- fantastical expectations for growth in earnings, um, I-, I guess they would be fairly large disappointments. Um, but what I come back to, and I, you know, I-, I hear your point on the control group for retail sales, and I look at the weekly same store sales, and and they've been better. Um, so. I- I hear that point, but when I look back from my vantage point 10,000 feet up, which is usually how I like to look at things, um, from the period pre-pandemic, so if we just go to the day before this whole pandemic started, personal income is up 2.5 trillion. It's higher by 2.5 trillion today than it was in at the end of January of last year. Household net worth, is up 19 trillion. I mean, these numbers are just obscene. Total consumer spending is down 65 billion. So to me, that's a stunning, that divergence is an extremely stark and telling um, divergence. And sure, retail sales, um, you know, you can argue have been, have been sort of the stronger part um, but overall consumer spending down in the face of this huge windfall of income and 19 trillion in household net worth, something is going on. Uh, and I guess maybe I've been drinking too much of my, my post housing bubble bus Kool-Aid, but, um, <laughs> since that happened and everyone's been girding for a return to the conspicuous consumption ways, what we've noticed is a, an increased in uh, inclination to save by U.S. households and a decreased inclination to borrow. And that's been manifest in significant balance sheet repair in the household sector. Um, and in the last year, during this pandemic episode, people took their CARES money and they overwhelmingly saved it. I think when I say saved, I'm sure most of that money came into the markets via Robinhood accounts, et cetera. <laughs> um, but it didn't go into the economy. Right. Um, and a lot of it also for people who were able to do so was, went to pay down debt. I mean, we have seen credit card debt uh, reduced at more than double the rate it was after the global financial crisis. So that inclination to repair balance sheets is really intense. And I guess my question is, why is the CARES round two going to be treated any differently? If consumers overwhelmingly pump that into the stock market or saved it or paid down debt, why am I supposed to believe that suddenly they're going to run out and, and try yep. to spend it? So we'll see, you know, maybe maybe uh, having vaccines and being able to do things will change that, in which case, as you say, you know, if the facts change, I'm obviously going to change. Um, but right now, the burden of proof is on the bulls, not on me. It's an interesting behavioral question, because at the end of the day, 
we don't know, but something is awry is the point that you're making here. And right. um, they're actually, <laughs> you're, she's, she's empirical. I mean, every word that just came <laughs> out of her mouth, I, we, we have charts for. Slide 77 is what she said on yeah. uh, total aggregate private sector salaries and wages is one way to say that. Is that a fair way to, to say what yes. is above yeah. November? Um, yeah. and, and then if you look at outlays, which is on slide uh, 81, it's startling, you know, so we use red so that people can understand that's obviously bad. Um, and, and the total, and, and I guess, that, and the next one is savings, next chart, um, which is just the biggest savings nut that you've seen in your career um, yeah. or, or that we've seen in the time series. And I, I guess there, 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 there are a couple, more than a couple different ways to look at that. You, you could say, oh, you know, like, no shit, Sherlock. I mean, uh, people are locked in their house and saving the money because they right. can't get out of their house. Uh, and when they get out of their house, they're going to spend like crazy. That's consensus, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and in the very short-term window that I have left, which is three months, I, I'll still agree with that consensus. Um, and that's what it is. But I don't know what happens after that. I mean, I don't think anybody does. We've, right. we've affected human beings in a way, like go to the state of Texas. I mean, somehow I got caught there in that bloody storm. That's kind of year. It's kind of year I had. Uh, so I'm moving hotel to hotel. The roofs are coming. You know, the, the water's you know, breaking in all these places. Like there's some major problems in the in the middle to low to no income strata right. of America, and they're probably sitting there saying, "I don't know about the state of Texas helping me out here, but I better I better save for the next rainy day." A hundred percent. And also to your point, um, one thing that we keep missing when we glom onto these uh, weekly unemployment claims numbers that seem to be improving, notwithstanding this week's uptick. Uh, is the fact that there's still 10 million jobs right. that are MIA from this whole pandemic. I mean, that's not an insignificant amount of people who still have been completely disenfranchised by this pandemic. Uh, and again, it makes me wonder wherefore this, uh, these forecasts for uh, really robust gains in consumer spending. There's a whole swath of people out there who definitely are feeling very insecure yeah. about their finances. And it's no wonder they're just hunkered down and, and saving. Um, so again, you know, I agree. The, the question is open because we still don't know what the uh, behavior will be when people can actually do everything they want to do. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, based on what we've seen so far and based on the behavior that consumers evidenced after the housing bubble bust, which was a, really the big yep. shock. Uh, shock to the household sector. It's the last time they endured anything that was, you know, caught them out of left field. Um, that doesn't really uh, jive with the forecasts that we're seeing on Wall Street. And I guess my feeling is a pandemic is going to be more similar in response, behavioral response to the uh, financial, the housing crisis than just, you know, oh, sorry, we we had to sit at home for a year. Other than that, everything's totally normal. So we'll just go back to our lives as we did prior. Well, I, um, part, part of that, too, is and and um, I guess the offset is that you have Yellen, who's um, starting everything with you know, kind of an Amity Schley's, you know, opening with the decency of a job and how we can print jobs potentially come, going forward. That's a whole other kettle right. of fish. But um, but slide 77, do you have my, did the team like weaponize you with my slide deck, you know, before this? Or that you could, uh, <laughs> slide 76 is the minus 10 million that she just okay. um, that she just yeah. showed. And, you know, that 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 really is the big, deep hole and open question. 
Like the decency of a job, that's one thing, and having a political view on that, but just not having a job. I mean, uh, right. like I, I, there are a lot of businesses that have changed you know, in ways that they'll never come back. If you can, as a capitalist, make more money with less people, you're going to do that. A hundred percent. And especially if you're looking down the barrel at a minimum wage increase. Exactly. That's another potential dent. I mean, we haven't even touched on fiscal policy, but we went from an environment where the fiscal policy was incredibly supportive of economic growth and entrepreneurialism and businesses expanding to one that's pretty much diametrically opposed. Right. Uh, so we'll see how much of that gets implemented. But now they're talking about, you know, tax increases. None of that, uh, obviously, is going to be supportive of growth. Well, so. well, the, the t- <laughs> but again, all these things come into the, you know, the, they'll be into the narrative, let's say. Great book by uh, Schiller, uh, Narrative Economics, just shows you the power of the meme and the narrative and, mm-hmm. and how it can actually you know, go one way from a market perspective and then completely reverse um, because the numbers are reversing. So I always say the numbers uh, lead the narrative, so get those right first. But that's a, it's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, if there's one risk you know, that's glaring to me, it's that labor market, not only in terms of the 10 million in terms of the deep hole, but the rate of, of, of comp that you're going to, as an employer, have to think about uh, over a multi, you know, this administration's period at a bare minimum. So that's going to be, um, that's going to be interesting. On the dollar, uh, that was something that you didn't sneakily bring up, I don't think. Uh, what, <laughs> what's your... Uh, slid that in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 This is, so, that, so you slid that in there, and uh, what are we going to do with that? Well, I guess the Fed can either control interest rates or it can control the currency, but it can't control both. So uh, if their objective is going to be ultimately or or they're ultimately going to be forced to come in and manage uh, interest rates, then the dollar will be the valve for our sins. And I think that we're already seeing uh, how foreigners view our wanton monetary and fiscal policies, and it's not favorably for sure. Um, I think one of the most important uh, themes this year that we'll have to watch very closely is what's happening with China, because they've been Mm -hmm. sort of very quietly off the radar, making a major shift, as I see it, in their economic policy. Um, The yuan has appreciated almost 10%. Uh, in a very short period of time, and they have just abided that, whereas in the past they would have been in there managing that uh, downward every day. So they're clearly moving forward on this idea of shifting from being an export-dependent economy to having domestic consumption, and they're handing purchasing power to the consumers. And the reason I go down that tangent is obviously they were one of our preeminent uh, financiers, uh, purchasers of U.S. Treasuries, and they are now increasingly, uh, or let's say decreasingly, uh, engaged in that activity. So that's going to be another issue uh, as they and other economies start to sort of loosen their uh, attachment to the dollar. And obviously, the fact that China's one of the main importers of commodities, which heretofore have been priced in dollars, sets up a potential major uh, issue down the road for the dollar if some of those resource producers decide, hey, you know, why are we pricing our goods that we're selling to China in dollars when 
at least for a while anyway, the U.S. was energy independent and didn't need to buy our stuff. And we'll, we'll see how that whole dynamic plays out. But I think it's definitely something to keep your eye on uh, as the year progresses. Yeah, that uh, the, that geopolitical topic. I mean, think about geopolitics in the aggregate. Um, you know, on our team, we have uh, General Dan Christman. I don't know if you know him or not, uh, former superintendent of West Point. And when I read when I read his uh, weekend note, I'm like, <laughs> like, oh, there's Iran is still around. I mean, there's like, a, you know, the, there there's so many there's so many things to think about in a nonlinear and globally interconnected system like that. Um, we just, you know, uh, Jeff Snyder and I were just talking about the dollar shortage and, you know, all this Chinese dollar denominated debt. You don't have to have a, you don't have to have a replacement of the world reserve currency to have changes in, in, in terms of currency share in baskets. Um, I, I'm assuming that's what you're saying. You know, one, is that, yeah. is that what you're, you're thinking? And, 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 and how much can the, like, how much do you think these, you know, these shares of Chinese wands, you know, talking about the Iranians, I, you know, why not, why not pay for them in, in Chinese wands instead of dollars? Absolutely. Well, I, I guess anything at the margin that takes uh, dollars out of our pocket, you know, out of the treasury market recycling game <laughs> is an issue for us. I, I mean, frankly, as we head down this path toward ever expanding budget deficits and we are getting a shrinking share of global financing, that's a problem. And the problem is going to be solved based on that chart that you showed me at the very beginning of the JAWS um, by the Fed having to absorb an increasing amount of the Treasury financing slack that's being left behind by these foreigners as they just at the margin, you know, they don't have to make any big moves, but just at the margin continue to shift out of dollars into trading in local currencies or baskets of currencies or whatever it may be. So I think, again, this is just another argument for why the Fed's QE is going to be an, an endless policy, whatever they may imagine it to be internally at the Fed. We all know the reality, um, just as we did when they started quantitative tightening, and it was clear that obviously wasn't going to work, and it took them a little while to wake up and smell the coffee. But <laughs> it'll happen. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it's... Um this and again, we might as well just uh, hit on it before I go to the the questions that are mounting in the queue. You got a lot of them. Uh, you know this this MMT topic. Uh, Daniel Lacaye, one of my good friends, yesterday he was on. We're having this conversation. He's like, he, he he's like, it's not modern and it's not a theory. This is you know dollar you know currency devaluation has been around for a long time, and he equated it to just creating economic stagflation. So you're subverting the credit mechanism and you're expropriating the purchasing power of the people. Let's just start there. Um, like, do you agree? Do you agree with that? Um, with those two statements in particular? Yeah, actually, I really like the way you describe that because a lot of people seem to conflate MMT with hyperinflation. And I guess I definitely would be more in that stagflationary okay. camp. Um, so I, I fully agree with that idea. Um, but either way, it's not good. <laughs> well, what's, what it's really not good for is, and you've done a lot more work on this over the years than I have because I... Yeah, you know, I put uh, of all my weaknesses, I put my valuation work at, at the very top of my weakness list. You know, uh, you know, uh, Irish Catholic, you know, aging Irish Catholic chubby guys, right, right there too. But I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that, you know, the the what I do know is that you get the biggest 
equity multiple compression when you're in quad three or what I call economic stagflation. You have, you have, you have rising inflation right. in your local currency and you have real growth slowing. You know, in the 1970s, as you know, the S&P 500 traded at seven times earnings under those economic conditions. That's a long way from Kansas, and I, I don't look like Toto either. But I mean, so this is like a this is this is a this is an interesting economic view to have, given like your thoughts on valuation of this market in particular right now. Yeah, well, and I would also add to that in the Weimar Republic, I don't think anyone lost money in the German stock market during that <laughs> episode. So it's a very different. You're right. That stagflation is a totally different situation. Um, I guess when I uh, look at why that was the case, it's interest rates that are the trigger. Um, and again, that brings me back to interest rates as being the, the biggest risk on the radar screen right now. But from a standpoint of valuations, I guess what I look at is what is the trajectory of growth and are asset prices accurately reflecting that? And this is very simplistic. That stock market cap to GDP ratio, uh, which based on the flow of funds report we got last week, uh, we're at 184% uh, stock market cap to GDP. The dot-com bubble peak was 143. So we blew through that yeah. uh, a while ago. Um, and in dollar terms, if you look at that historic relationship, the historic ratio is around 78% uh, in terms of the stock market trading at 78%, we can call it 80% of GDP over the last five decades. Mm -hmm. um, so to get to that level, the stock market would have to go down $23 trillion. I mean, that's, that's, or either that or GDP would have to more than double overnight. So those are your two options. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure you're not getting a doubling of GDP. Um, yeah. But this well, is, a, I guess, probably why, that, um, you know, that, that's why Buffett would be made fun of, uh, just like he was right. in, in 1999-2000 for not getting it. Yes, 100%. But, you know, I guess this is the problem with building expectations upon expectations is that we were mildly extended going into this pandemic. And then after we started getting the hope of vaccines and the market just kept piling on and piling on, but growth was going nowhere, we've expanded that wedge to the point that now literally GDP would have to double tomorrow for us to ratify the levels to which stock prices have climbed. So you can be the most optimistic uh, strategist on earnings. I don't think you're going to be able to get there uh, and justify where the market is uh, anytime, probably in the next five to 10 years. <laughs> well, that's a long time. I mean, uh, it's interesting yeah. now that we're starting to see, and this is, you know, obviously quite typical um, of a of a bubble, um, and I, you know, to, to be clear, I mean, I've, I've been long the bubble, and I say if it wasn't a bubble, I wouldn't be long it. Um, you know, so you know, the trick is you know not losing your money and and getting out. But yeah. sy systematically, you've been able to get out of bubbles. I mean, you know, duration was a bubble when the when the interest rate globally you know hit its all time lows and Treasury yields hit it all its all time lows. So there are plenty of bubbles to have had on on the short side. I mean, I think Tesla's a bubble. I mean, we did, we haven't shorted it you know all of last year, but you know, these types of things are are pretend spacs from a guy named Shameth without a shirt on by a private jet. <laughs> like right. this kind of this kind of this is nonsense. You know, this is nonsense. 
nonsense. Uh, that, you laughed at that. Did you, did you like Seamus or not? You, I, you, I, I don't know anything about it. So. Yeah. He's, 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 bubble, he's, he's emblematic of the bubble. Um, you know, okay. uh, you know, so, I mean, but I mean, it's, it's the private equity bubble. It's a SPAC bubble. Yeah. You know, these bubbles... Um, I don't. I don't quite think that like living, having lived through like you know multiple bubbles for you and I. Like I mean, I don't think you've quite had this caricature of of this multi-bubble bubble bubble thing. Yeah. Well, I would say um, if valuation is your weak point on your scale, um, timing the exit of a bubble is my. <laughs> primary weakness. I just, I can't do it, which is why I prefer to say, I know it's a bubble, I'm going to wait on the sidelines, and, and then when it all bursts, I can come in and buy cheap. But I'm not smart enough, I'm not, I don't have enough of that gift that you have of being able to get a sense as to when it's time uh, to really exit. And I know you have a whole panoply of, of indicators that you look at to help you do that. Um, but that's that's uh, way beyond me. So I just stick yeah. to my <laughs> the yeah, fundamentals. You, you do what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being you know getting out of the way is is a damn good choice. Uh, and you know I've been short selling stocks for 21 years. So I mean I got a lot of baggage. Uh, and by the way, it doesn't always go well. I also have four kids and we pop bubbles together all the time. So you know you do you do it a lot. <laughs> You know, you could see how you, you practice. <laughs> yeah, you can oh, see. Gosh. You can see how that uh, how that's going to go. But I mean, again, when you start to think about the valuation inside the market, like the the, the that it's, what's Tesla today is down to six hundred and fifty billion dollar market cap. I mean, at one hundred and fifty, it would be a ridiculous valuation. Right. So right. I mean, it's not. You know, all you needed was the catalyst. And what's interesting to me in this market this year is that, in the equity market, uh, and I wanted to get your thoughts on that before I ask the first question, is that you've actually gone to um, crowds, crowded positions. You know, the first one being high short interest stocks. Massive mm -hmm. crowds, and like you, before we got on live, you're like, I don't know, GameStop, but all you need to know there is that there are a lot of super smart people that were short the same stock at the same time when high short interest as a factor exposure was a long, right? Yeah. So that, that yeah. was, that didn't work. Then you got the momentum blow up, low beta, mega cap stocks, you know, Tesla short interest got down to 6% of the float. I mean, you know, that was a bubble, you know, of positioning. And then you get the rates one, you know, so there, yeah. it, it's, 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 it's interesting to watch that the, the, in particular, the hedge fund community that you spend a lot of time with, and I do too, you know, a lot of them, whether they realized it or not this year, were probably a little bit more concentrated and uh, tied to leverage and crowding than they've mm -hmm. ever been. And this is in an up market. Yeah, yeah. No, it increasingly seems like everyone thinks they have a really unique idea and they all have the same idea in the <laughs> yes, end, right? Yes. <laughs> it is nice. amazing. Well, that has been fascinating in the hedge fund universe for a while. I mean, this has been going on for several years, although, of course, it's really hit a crescendo now where it seems like there's this universe and it's very incestuous and they're all trading the same stocks and they're doing it on leverage and they're, you know, or they're short on leverage. And, uh, and it turns out, of course, that they're all doing exactly the same thing. And when something doesn't work out, it's a it's a big major problem. Major, uh, major problem. Yeah. On that, um, like what would be, because again, what's interesting about you and I having this uh, you know, we're being open and honest about it. At the same time, we get paid by a lot of hedge funds. Um, and not all hedge funds are the same, you know. What right. is the most interesting, I guess, non-consensus way that you've heard, you know, your best hedge fund clients, um, you know, what, 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 is the, what is the most interesting line of thinking where somebody's, you know, kind of brought something up to you 
on this front where it's not, you know, they're not blowing up. They're, they just have an interesting perspective that's not crowd-oriented. Well, I mean, I guess the most interesting and unique perspective I get are the people who are actually saying, you know, I'm going to take out a huge position in cash. Mm. Um, and then we've had some people who actually have gotten into the Bitcoin thing, which I still puzzle over, but uh, these are people who would not you would not envision as crypto people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. um, so so that's been really interesting to watch. And I'm you know, I sit with them try explain to me, get me through some of my uh, mental roadblocks on it. Um, and I still haven't been fully persuaded. But that those are, are sort of the interesting things. But um, nothing super novel uh, yeah. that that I've picked up. Well, I do, I do, I do think that isn't like a you know. Stan Druckenmiller goes back and he explains when he he bought you know when he finally gave in and bought uh -huh. this tech at the top uh, you know and and he said he learned absolutely nothing from that mistake. He's like, I shouldn't have done that. You know, it's like there 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 will be blood in Bitcoin. I mean, there yeah. I'm I'm long it yeah. and I fully expect I got to even admit it to my wife. I'm like, hey, look, you know, there's X percentage of our of our nut here that could be, uh, and I'm not going to yeah. be able to tell you why. You know, like, so, you know, <laughs> right. so I just, I get it. Um, and by the way, when we come out of quad two, and if we hit quad four deflationary pressures, that is the only quadrant that Bitcoin gets smoked. So uh, for those of you that haven't heard it throughout the summit, I purposely only said it to the very end of the last 20 minutes of the last discussion. <laughs> so, so I didn't have to deal with you guys coming after me on the, Twitter. The hate mail. <laughs> right. Oh, God. It's, it's it, until the empirical fact changes on the back test, Steph. Quad four is deflation, and it's super deflationary for Bitcoin. So uh, yeah. if, if, if people didn't see that in Q4 of 2018, then please look it up. Um, questions. Okay. Uh, if you don't mind me uh, jumping right in, this one's got a lot of votes uh, from an Italian, by the way. Marco <laughs> Renzi from Milan, Italy. The, fir the first question in the last one was from that. France. Like, we get these... We have these global people. We don't have like. Uh, I love it. It's awesome. Mar <laughs> Tutti familia, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Stephanie, uh, can you and the S? <laughs> Stephanie, uh, can, can, can <laughs> whatever you you're selling, I'm buying it. So. <laughs> uh, you, you like Italian wine, by the way? Uh, who doesn't like Italian wine? Oh, oh. oh my gosh. Oh, good. <laughs> I know why we get along. The Brunellos. Um, all right, oh, St Steph, can you see the S&P 500 by Q4 of this year at 1,500 or lower? Are we literally at the corner of a historic crash? Um, can I see it? Uh, I guess I can see it. I mean, from a valuation standpoint, absolutely I can see it. The question I uh, would ask gets back to the one we talked about at the top keys, which is, um, what is the Fed's reaction function? How quickly do they move to sort of mitigate any uh, potential fallout? Um, if we saw a repeat of 2018, uh, obviously we wouldn't get to that number, uh, but I'm not so sure that they're gonna be able to pull that off given the valuation extremes this time mm -hmm. and uh, the amount of leverage that's being used. So uh, I, I can see it. Um, I regret to say um, it well, was how, 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 how do you on a multiple like how do you get to 1500 have you done, is that actually a number you've thrown out there 1500 no I mean I just think from our current valuation you could easily get a 60 percent 
I mean, I think we're looking at to get to fair valuation would be a 60% haircut in the market. But that brings you to uh, the mean. When do you ever revert to the mean? You're probably going to overshoot to the downside. Well, you never so. spend any time. I mean, I, this I do know. I mean, I'm going to put it in my next deck, as a matter of fact. You, you can use the average multiple, the S&P 500, but it spends a shitload of time below that and above that. Right. <laughs> and yeah, it probably spends zero time at the mean. Yeah, at it. I mean, that's so, that's why using yeah. averages is silly. But okay, uh, you're the yeah. only person that, that's going to answer yes to that. See, now you know what? You should be the interesting hedge fund manager because you're the only person who says interesting things that other people aren't saying. Like I haven't had one person say that the S&P is going to 1500 or lower. You're like, oh, yeah, I could get really? to that. Well, Absolutely. I mean, I like to keep it dramatic. There's nothing. <laughs> let's not be milk toast around here. Let's just go real. Let's go for it. All right. Go big or go home. Right? I, I'm, go I'm going for it. I am going for it with you. Here we go. Look oh, at man. gold. This. OK, now you're getting a question on gold. Do you? Are you, and if you're not, uh, he thinks you're, st are you still a fan and, um, you know, should people hold that? I am absolutely a fan. Um, I, again, I've been trying to understand Bitcoin and the whole crypto thing, um, but it seems to me that all of the things that it's trying to be, it doesn't necessarily succeed and gold has those attributes. Um, you know, finite in supply, uh, it's durable, it's not going anywhere, um, you know, performs well in inflation and deflation, uh, hedge against dollar debasement, uh, all of those things uh, I, I get the warm and fuzzies about with gold, and I don't <laughs> get that with, uh, with crypto, but that's, the, that's my... We're going to come out of this with you long, like, I got some Brunello to sell. I am, I'm a collector. Um, 2000, <laughs> 2010, awesome. I got a lot of it. Uh, I hodled it. Um, so, you know, I oh got that. Oh, my gosh. But, the, right. but, but the, the place that it really works, I mean, actually both wine, hard assets uh, in particular, and gold, is, is when you have economic stagflation. So, you know, that's, that's when we get quad three, that's when gold peaked in 2011. We were in quad three economically in August of last year. Um, that's if you're a if you if you want the comeback story, you just need you just need stagflation. So that's why yeah. I, I keep asking people, do you think that MMT e equals quad three stagflation? And I've just had two of the smartest people in macro, uh, both a he and a she, Lacaye the Spaniard and Palm Boy sitting there just saying it. You know, it's like. <laughs> uh, um, P.S. A uh, client sent me a wheel of Parmesan, so I'll trade you some Parmesan for some Brunello. <laughs> oh, oh, One wheel. of us, we're, we're missing, yeah, don't ask me. I think he's trying to kill me secretly, but. <laughs> are, you are you insinuating that I look like I eat that stuff? No, I'm just saying you can't have the great red wine, Italian red wine without some good Parmesan to go oh, with it, right? I, 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 you wouldn't believe how much of that stuff I eat. Yeah, just, just. <laughs> I went to the doctor the other day. He's like, are you kidding me, man? It's like, yeah, no, I'm not kidding you. I just survived COVID, buddy. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. Uh, Eileen from Central California. Now we have the uh, differentiating Californians. Maybe they're starting mm. to... They're starting to have geographic right. factions. You right. know, uh, <laughs> um, da, 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 da. are you, I guess she's asking a question that has to do with my verbiage, which is, you know, are you selecting key core quad four positions? So that's like, you know, in other words, are you, are you selecting, you know, protection against deflation? 
Um, well, to the extent, yeah, I mean, I, I am short risk assets uh, and long cash and gold. So I guess the answer would be emphatically yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Um, yeah. I, I do this, and I think you probably do the same big uh, institutional investor survey out of Boston that's at the end of every month. I don't know if they ask you, but, you know, for this, do you do that one? I uh, respectfully declined to uh, do that. Good. I, I, I don't know. I just, I can't, you know, if I do every survey, I don't know. It just drives me crazy. So. <laughs> but some, some of the questions, I mean, it's like you, you would have, you'd be like the only person with the answer to some of these questions. <laughs> like, with the answer or the most extreme answer? Is you, that you, you'd you have, you would have <laughs> the most extreme answer, like you'd be in the one percentile. You know, when you go through a full asset allocation you know, questionnaire, sure. that's and and you come up with the answer that I'm I'm short stocks, long gold, and cash, you would yeah. you'd be over there, um, which is hundred percent yes. Yeah, which means that I, at some point, a lot of people are going to come join you, because in as you know, it all mean reverse at some point. So right, right. I mean, the question is when is that point? And Lord knows, I'm I'm ready for it to be that point already. <laughs> <Lord> <laughs> Lord Come knows. on, people. All right. Come, Come my on. way. The water is just fine. <laughs> oh. oh boy. Oh, here's one, uh, Steph. What is your what is your primary deflation signal or red light? Do you have one? Uh, well, I guess I'd be looking at the credit tightening in the corporate market. Um, I, in general, I'm just looking for signs that the backup in rates is actually starting to. Uh, tighten conditions uh, and in the financial area. So I, I'm looking at, for example, I noticed investment grade credit downgrades are running triple the pace of last year, which seems like a, a pretty important development. Um, and if you get to a point where companies start to have trouble financing their debt, obviously you're talking about the starting point of major debt deflation there. Um, which will be triggered at some point by these higher rates. So that's um, sort of a, a garbled way of answering that question. But I, again, uh, an economy as levered as ours, you really just have to keep the eye on interest rates to see how quickly we precipitate into that uh, deflationary uh, downturn. Um, and that obviously will be amplified by a correction in equity valuations. Yep. You see the stock market come down and then all of a sudden it's lights out um, on on any form of inflation, uh, economic or financial. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, well, you say it in passing like it's just rolled off your tongue, but I mean, I don't think people realize that the, the signal is the, sig the, other, the, the other side of the signal everybody's staring at today. You know, that, that's exactly what it right, is. Right, exactly. You know, yes. the, when, when, it's, when the 10-year yield stops going up and it's done going up, it's the yeah. beginning of quad four. That's and it. stock prices are going down, even though the 10-year yield has stopped going up. I think that's going to be Bingo. a real signal. Yeah. Bingo. You know, the four horsemen, financials, industrials, energy stocks, and base materials, they're only going up if inflation's going up because they are inflation, and inflation yeah. goes up with bond yields. As soon as it all stops going up, it goes down. That's the way it works. You know, I'm going to work on my PhD explaining things like this. This is going to be the next not phase of my life. Uh, this is, <laughs> it's like, it, it is actually gets easier when you do it for more years like you and I have done it. This, this, uh, this question, I don't, I don't think this is Jim Rickards. Maybe it is. The guy's called himself Jim Rickards. 
And it's a, a really interesting question. You know Jim Records, by the way? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You guys get along? Of course. Oh, good. I get along with everyone. I well, love it. Well, not everybody, not everybody gets along with, with me, for sure, and Jim Records, that's for sure. We, but really? we, all okay. three of us get along, so that's good. Good. Uh, so, so this is like, okay, this is from, allegedly, Jim Records, which I don't want okay. to disrespect it, because it sounds Hi, like a, a kind of a question Jim might ask. <laughs> Hi, Steph. Um, and he's, you know, very gentlemanly, so it, it could be Jim. Uh, hi, Steph. If one considers Bitcoin not as content, but rather as oral media-like television, a technological <laughs> extension of the human body, could, bit, could Bitcoin, this sounds like could be, this could be, could Bitcoin not destroy the dollar so much as displace it through obsolescence? Could this cause disorientation and social unrest? Wow. Well, I think it could cause disorientation and social unrest, even without all the other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it probably will, given how popular it's become in sort of the retail community. Um, but, you know, as to the idea that it could really be a rival to the dollar, again, this is the issue I have and why I keep coming back to gold. Um, the two things, I mean, I'll just make a very quick comment on it because there are a lot of mental obstacles I have toward crypto. But the two that strike me as most immediate and most obvious are number one, regulation. Um, I sort of glibly say that uh, Bitcoin success guarantees its failure. You know, the more viable it becomes as an alternative to the dollar or other currencies, the more quickly the regulators are going to come in and rein it in and, <laughs> you know, impose some kind of regulatory um, standard there. Um, but the other one, which I think, you know, that's off in the future and we'll see how regulators come together. And I'm sure they're working on trying to figure out uh, some kind of uniform uh, rules, etc. But I, I think the other one that could be, happen any day now, uh, I'm kind of perched on the edge of my seat waiting, is what the ratings agencies are going to say about crypto. Hmm. You know, when when Elon Musk announced that he was putting a portion of Tesla's cash into Bitcoin, the Bitcoin uh, market obviously took off on the idea that, well, if Elon Musk is doing it, every other company is going to have to think about doing it, if not actually do it. Um, problem with that is that it sets up a question for the ratings agencies of, is crypto inferior or superior to cash? And hmm. uh, depending on where that uh, question falls, they could end up downgrading. I would assume that crypto right now, given how volatile it is, if nothing else, would be viewed as inferior to cash. Uh, and as it appreciates in price, it's taking up a larger and larger share of Tesla's total assets now. So. Other companies like that that have dipped their toe into the crypto pond um, as an alternative to uh, just sitting, you know, earning zero in their cash reserves uh, may end up getting a rude awakening when they wake up one morning and the ratings agencies come out and say, all right, we're, we're downgrading you because you did that. So that's something that I think could happen any day now. I know yeah. that it's under review at S&P. Um, and it's just something no one talks about. And I, I'm puzzled as to why, because it seems like such an obvious question uh, <laughs> that is going to be answered shortly. Uh, and upon that answer, uh, the outlook for Bitcoin's price depends, uh, in my view, 
Anyway, that that that's a really good thought. I mean, I, that that ties together. Like you know, when you do this, this is my ninth conversation in three days, and 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 in, and and a certain ty- type of mind starts connecting dots with the other minds. You're you're not the first person to say, by the way, that um, the government is going to sh- like, whether it be a regulatory act. And, and, and obviously the S and P ratings agency is not the government, but it is a, right. you know, a form of regulation. Uh, or the government itself. I mean, we had uh, Mike uh, Mike T Mike Taylor yesterday say, "Hey, look, I, I'm long it now, but I think I could go to zero as soon as the mm-hmm. government says, hey, game over." I right. mean, those. And my response to that was 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 what Rickards put in the question, which is a social revolution. Like, mm-hmm. if if you if you have some if the suits at S and P regulate mm-hmm. the maxis like what the hell is going to happen yeah well it is a question you know what what do people say okay so i have to tolerate the destruction of my purchasing power and i have no opportunity to protect myself but you know we're seeing this and i don't want to get on this whole political tangent but it's sort of what we're seeing with regard to our civil liberties as well. So, you know, the government saying you can't have guns, you can't protect yourself. And yet, I mean, there are a lot of uh, things where it becomes a slippery slope. And then, you, like you said, you reach a point where people say, nope, you know, I, you do have that social revolt, whether it's over Bitcoin or guns or whatever the topic is. Um, but I don't know that we get there without having that crisis first and yeah. having the government push those limits. Um, but we'll see. It's going to be interesting. I just think the ratings question is one that no one really seems to have their eye on. Um, and that could come much quicker than some regulatory, some uniform regulatory action. Yeah, I, I definitely didn't have my eyes on that. Now I do. Thank you for that. You know, these are, that's, the whole, that's, the, that's the whole point of it. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, as human beings, we're not going to you know, have in my hedge eyes on everything, but uh, obviously you know, having these kinds of conversations. And I do think that having them in this open architecture where we get feedback in this live Q&A and on Twitter, people, you know, the, 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 the brilliance or the intelligence of the crowd, I, I'll never, ever underestimate that. And, and you just instigated a point I, I'm sure is going to, you know, explode into its own little constellation of questions. And then we'll see. Because, like you said, the clock's on. It's not like it isn't under review by S and P. So, right. um, and Elon's going to have to deal with that uh, at some point. So, yeah, yeah. That's uh, on that cheery note, Elon. <laughs> you know, congratulations. You have some regulatory news coming, Steph. Just right. <laughs> That's, that should be a refreshing change of pace. Well, well, if we continue to see the stock go down, you know, and as a percentage of the enterprise value, that's going to be a that's going to be a significant part of the balance sheet. So, you know, we got to regulate you there, Elon. You know, it's uh, (laughs) a geez. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this all around the globetrotting uh, uh, world discussion about macro. I, I really appreciated it. Thank you, Keith. It's fun always. And we'll have to arrange that trade-off of the Parmesan for the Brunello somewhere offline. Oh, yeah. It's already uh, been earmarked is what I'm going to follow up with you on immediately. So okay. thank you for that. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. And, and, and how cool is that? You know, you get these types of discussions. I'm, uh, I think I'm one of the most fortunate people on the earth for having, these, uh, having this platform and this, this, this ability to just digest, listen, debate, uh, thank you to all of you who spent, you know, some of you did the whole thing with me, and, and I sincerely appreciate uh, you doing that. For those of you that are watching it 
on replay, I, I do I do tell you, like, you know, take the time, you know, instead of binge watching something uh, that may not be worth your time uh, elsewhere, I, I think it's worth your time to, 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 to listen to all the conversations, because once you listen to all of it, you can start to connect more of the dots. So thank you very much. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to our podcast. As a reminder, new Hedgeye subscribers may qualify for a special discount on one of our Hedgeye investing products. Email customer service director Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com.